Welcome to From the Medium, a daily report from the front line of the pro-life movement, discussing two worldviews that are driving our culture in opposite directions. From the Median asks, which side of the road are you on? What direction do you want our culture to go? Tune in as we plan the route that takes us back to the culture of life. And now your host, Molly Smith. Welcome back. I am Molly Smith, your host. I want to remind you all that our program is available for download. You can do so by going to our website from themedian.org. Listeners, as always, thank you so much for joining us. Lots and lots of very, very interesting discussion ahead of us today. We've got a, a brand new guest joining us, an author, as well as somebody who has the most, uh, she's also got a, an academy of called Freedom Academy. And you know how much I love that word, the Freedom Academy. I love the idea of freedom. We came to America many years ago to seek freedom and found it. And America is the most amazing country. It really is. And now we're under attack in so many different areas. So when I discovered Dorothy Logan, who is an author, she has written a book that's a fascinating title called The Unraveling. Dorothy holds a graduate degree in political science and has served as a professor, a worship leader, performing musician, an organizational coach. She has contributed to foreign policy analysis, congressional and court testimony, books on foreign policy, leadership, community impact, my goodness, you name it, Dorothy's done it. She's also founded, as I said, Freedom Academy in 2020. She's taught critical thinking, worldview, cultural history, and political science at the university level for more than 20 years. Without further ado, welcome to the program, Dorothy. So great to have you with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, you know what? There's so many things here that we got to talk about. So we've got to get going and get through all of this stuff because my goodness, you know, the more I read about what you're doing and, and I went onto your website too, folks, awesome, awesome website. You need to go to the website because, you know, I had a lot of stuff already about Dorothy and then I went to the website and I thought, oh my goodness gracious me, you know, you, you've recognized, you, it says right on the website, you've recognized the gaps in prevailing societal perspectives and you were struck by an urgency to fill those gaps. This is what, Dorothy, my goodness, we are in the middle of the most crazy time, but we're here. And God's put you here to help us. Tell us a little bit about your work and why did you decide to write this book? So I had an urgency in 2020 because we had these students who didn't didn't really know what was going on, didn't understand where our foundational principles were coming from, but that for about 20 years. And when I saw what was happening in 2020, the urgency just blossomed inside my chest and this idea that I needed to get my message out because I have perspectives that I don't see in the mainstream on either side of, let's say, the political polit- polarized spectrum. And so I tried a YouTube channel. I tried and I established Freedom Academy. But then what this book was birthed out of was actually a Freedom Academy session, one of my webinars where I talked about the, the title of that webinar was The Unraveling, Following the Threads. Let's see all these threads that are being pulled out of the fabric of our society, follow them, see where they lead us and how we got here and what we can do to keep the fabric together or if there is anything we can even do to keep the fabric together. And so from that webinar, I had all the participants reached out and said, you need to to write a book about this. And I thought, okay, maybe this is the way I can get some of my perspectives out into the into the mainstream, or at least having the a, a more national conversation instead of a local one. Mm-hmm. You start out by saying the great ex- American experience is over. Where? How do you get there? Well, I think all we have to do is look around, right? The evidence is everywhere. 
most obviously, I think, is we're no longer a religious and moral people. So what we hoped would work, this experiment in trying this different role for government, it will no longer work. We would we would rather be equal in our slavery than unequal in our liberty. We we no longer understand what a republic is. We now desire and believe we live in democracy. Uh, but the real reason, the real reason I came to that conclusion um, is that we no longer, as a society, have any shared values. Our culture has been destroyed. We no longer believe in, in liberty itself. So instead of embracing the personal agency and the power available that to everyone that is living in the free society, you know, where this government, this experiment, the new role that we were trying to engage is this government serving to protect our rights and the spaces within which we can freely operate. We are, we're now shouting, shouting, give us a king. We turn to the government, not only to solve our problems, but to tell us what our problems are and to tell us how to think about them and what to do about them. Wow. You know, you have no idea how many times I've said the same thing. What you know, what a travesty. You know, everybody, the whole world looks to America and has looked to America since, since it was founded. And here is this amazing, you know, here, uh, situation where we've actually, the pe- people have got together and worked at this out. And now we are throwing it up in the air and just tossing it out by yelling exactly that I've said that so often. We want a king. We want a king. No, we do not want a king. <laughs> Oh my goodness. And you know, even at the time, you know, when they were yelling that God was saying, no, I don't think you do want a king. Do you really know? I don't think you do. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. That is so true. It's interesting because I think. Um, well, I've had some of this discussion right now as we've been going through all, you know, since Roe v. Wade was, since the Dobbs mm-hmm. decision, you know, we've been going through all of this. It's actually just bubbled up. There's all kinds of this underground stuff that's been bubbling up on, on both sides. As you say, you're, you're so correct. It, it's, there's this, there's this unrest on both sides and everybody's wondering how do we get through this? And of course, we are right now in the middle of, of, you know, um, Constitutional changes, et cetera, et cetera, which is going to take, which is going to take root everywhere if, if it goes through here in Ohio. But it doesn't matter. The fact is, is that there is all of this going on. And what I keep saying to people, and I'm an immigrant, so, you know, I'm an American citizen, but I'm an, I'm obviously an implant. Um, but it, it's, it's so funny because America is not a democracy. It's, it's a constitutional republic, which is very different, I think, from, from what, what we're yelling about right now. Absolutely. Well, we were designed to be a constitutional federal republic. And that's actually what is saving us. The, the construction was so brilliant, yeah. um, at the moment. But when, if we believe we live in a democracy and we're told to, to protect democracy and the things are threats to democracy and we under, we want to embrace democracy. We want to spread democracy. I mean, perception becomes the reality mm-hmm. and democracy is not what we want. This is tyranny under another name. This is what the founders truly believed. And, or we can look at democracy as a method, right? The voting elections, this is a method. Well, then it's simply the peaceful method. The peaceful means to transfer power from one group to another group. It's democracy is a method of power allocation where the majority or supposedly those representing the majority gets to decide everything. That's, that's not freedom. 
That's not liberty. That's not a republic. Now, federalism still exists. We still have state and state law, but even that is being undermined uh, systematically from our, not not just from the people in Washington, D.C. who are trying to nationalize laws that were traditionally left in the hands of the states, but also through the media nationalizing the issues and nationalizing local candidates and making all this, uh, I don't know, this, what is the word? (laughs) (laughs) To, to nationalize the candidates to increase the polarization and ensure in our minds that this is actually a democracy instead of a federal constitution. Exactly. Exactly. Well said, because this is, you know, we, 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 we're watching here in Ohio and it's happened in Michigan. It's happened in six states already. Um, it's going to continue to happen across the nation where it, there is a systematic destruction of that whole process, systematically going through and, and destroying it. And you're so right. The media is, is this like, you know, snake that's writhing through, and not everybody in the media is like that. I don't mean to to to, to imply that, but it really is. It is so powerful, and it is it is a it is a whole piece that comes that we d- I don't think was ever anticipated when the founding fathers fathers you know set set the whole constitution up and and the whole of the structure of of the United States up. I don't think it was supposed to be as strong as it is and i don't think it's supposed to be as strong across the world as it is right now you know it is what it is but we've got to we've got to work out how to do that so the unraveling and i i love that term that you use for the book the unraveling because we cannot actually get to the to the bottom line you know i i'm i'm i used to be a knitter you know knit, knitting sweaters and all that kind of stuff and sometimes if you'd made a mistake right at the bottom as you're starting your sweater, you had to actually pull it all out and go back and fix that one before you could get it to the way it should be. <laughs> and I really think that this is what, when I was going through through your your, your book and, and the you know the, the highlights of your book, it's like wow, this is really an, an amazing thing. You talk about as well that you you don't see. Um, Gridlock and talking about that now with regards to the unraveling and, and, you know, how do we get back to the, you don't see the, the gridlock in Congress as a bad thing. Well, not, 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 you don't necessarily see it as bad. Why is that? Right. Because. I mean, we could just go to the government that governs least governs best. So if they're in gridlock, they're not doing anything. I knew I was going to love talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but gridlock simply means that they're not getting anything done. Like they're, they're yeah. that means yeah. they're in the midst of debate. It means the government's conscience is at work. It means the process is being slowed down, allowing for contemplation, allowing that debate to occur. It's, it's preventing the whims of the moment from being translated into law. And I think, I think that's why it's, it's not necessarily bad. But yeah. the American people see it as bad because they want these solutions to all their problems. They want the king. This is exactly yes. right. So let them work it through. You know, let, let's, let's work this through. Let's, let's, you know, um, let's, are you still there? Yes. Okay. Um, Hang on a second. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, these things bopping up on my machines here. So I'm making sure, but you know, let them work it through. It doesn't matter. We should be allowing a good, solid discussion, you know, you know, knock down, drag out sort of discussions that are going on. And I say this to people all the time. I don't mind a disagreement. 
you know, I grew up in an, in an environment where it, we, that, that's the way we were taught every single day in the classroom. We were taught to, to do dialogue and disagreement and all that kind of stuff and then work it through. That, that's gone. We now, we are so polarized, Dorothy, that this is, this is a problem. And I think what, you know, in your book, The Unraveling, I mean, that again, the, the polarization is unraveling us. It is. And I believe it is intentional. And that's of the, yeah. the premise of, of the book that we need, they need to divide us and they need to divide us on every, in, in every way, not just so that they can stay in power and we won't unite against them, but in order to rebuild, um, the society in the way they desire to make progress, to overturn traditions, to overturn our culture and replace our values with the values that they deem to be to be beneficial to the collective. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the quotes you have is from, from gun laws to environmental laws to, un, to unfunded mandates. The centralized, the centralized government has imposed more regulations and requirements on states while seeking to take away protections of state power. Uh, when I read that, one of the questions that, that I, I would like to ask of you is, you know, um, <clears throat> what there is a truth. I, I, I use this all the time. There is a truth. This, this brought to mind for me. What is that truth? There is an innate truth. What is that? What are we looking for? Where do we, how do we find it? How is there, is there a, a recipe, you know, as to how to find that truth? Well, on the one end, I mean, not talking about government necessarily, but Truth is innately true, right? We yes. natural law is this idea of self-evident truth. This is stuff that's just obvious. It's the laws of nature. And in the book, I provide examples like objects fall, fish swim, mountains are tall, water makes things wet, right? Things like that are obvious. We don't need to be told these things. I mean, the truth is true, just in the definition, right? So I even you bring up examples like babies are innocent, cruelty is evil, kindness is good, slavery is wrong, freedom is right, um, because it's all truth that should be obvious. Natural law reflects the obvious. Truth reflects the obvious, that there is an ordered reality that provides the framework within which we live. And we can all agree on it because it's obvious. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But it doesn't seem to be anymore. No, the no, absolutely. I was just reading this weekend. I was, I don't know, it was, you know, one of these little memes that somebody, or it was actually a, a video of somebody having a, a, you know, really, really upset and threatening lawsuits because she took her cat to the doctor and the doctor refused to, 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 treat this cat because and that that's discrimination the doctor treats the other you know there were children in the in the, in the waiting room and there were old people there and he was treating all of them but he wouldn't treat her cat <laughs> good grief i don't know what else to say good grief but that natural law almost seems to be breaking down you know so we're at this point so i love that you that you've written this book you say um that um, there is an individual, and I, I'm sort of jumping around a little bit because there's so much to cover in this book. There's so much that we that we need to actually understand. You say that there uh, the ind- the link uh, the, you link individual liberty with personal responsibility. 
why is this crucial? And I think I've just given an example. Personal responsibility towards your cat is very different from personal responsibility to your child. You know, it's a good grief. But I, I think I think semantics make it again. It should be obvious, right? Yeah. So independence, right, or individual liberty. If you're dependent, like like a child, um, the parent is responsible yep. for for everything, for your safety, your security, um, even for behavior in the past, at least, and your happiness, right? It's up to the parent to decide what's, what makes you happy. But if you are independent, then that implies you're not dependent. And if you're not dependent on someone else for all those things, then you are responsible for your own safety, your own security, your own happiness. And so then we take that word independent, and that's closely associated with, you know, freedom, and then freedom with liberty. I, ta- I use those words interchangeably mostly. Mm-hmm. But this is, and so it's just really a logic argument because once you understand that the definition of responsible and responsibility, um, we, we, people often want the, the freedom to do whatever they want. Yeah. <laughs> but then, then they want freedom from the consequences of the choices that, that they just made. <laughs> they never the nail on the be, head. Absolutely. They never want to be held responsible for those. Choices. Yeah. You hit the nail. It's exactly right. I want, you know, I want a king. I want a king, but no, I don't want it what the king tells me to do sort of thing, you know, so it's, it's all of that type of that. Uh, it's, it's the constant contradiction that goes on in today's world, which we didn't we didn't have, I would say even 15 years ago. I mean, it was, it was on its way, but it's not as in the, at the ridiculous point that it is right now. So, you know, I think, and, and it sort of brings me into my next question. You talk about two key pillars of civilization. What are those pillars and why are they so, they're so crucial? Well, there, I, I believe that there are two pillars holding up any civilization. So like if you consider two foundational pillars and then you have a, like the lintel that, that, beam across the, the part. That's what's, that's what civilization rests upon. And if you, these, these two pillars, one is shared language or shared meaning, which is really important. You have shared language, which includes shared meaning and shared understanding, which is part of that natural law aspect of it. But then the other pillar is shared values or traditionally that would be a shared religion of any civilization or society or faith practice. And actually that is also based upon shared meaning. So these two pillars hold up that society. And if you remove or you damage one of them because they are actually linked through that understanding, that shared understanding, the civilization becomes unbalanced. So even if you only damage one, uh, you have an unbalanced civilization. That's where we find ourselves today, mm-hmm. I believe. Mm-hmm. And then if both are removed, civilization falls or the society falls apart. And so if one starts falling, it can easily take out the other one. Mm-hmm. And so we see the crumbling of those foundational values, shared understanding, shared meaning, shared language, and that faith practice or shared religion. Like the West was also always the Christianized West. It was based on Christian values. Even if you weren't a Christian, um, this idea of Judeo-Christian principles was firmly embedded within the, our meaning and understanding of what society consists of. Yeah, and then that, that sort of exactly, I mean, the, the whole attack on Christianity, we just had an attack this weekend at one of our churches, one of our Catholic churches here. Um, you know, somebody defacing the side of the building and going inside and mm-hmm. turning the crucifix upside down and doing all that. This attack on Christianity, um, it, it really is, and I sent a you sent a text around to a number of people saying this is diabolical. This is destroying 
everything we hold dear. So the destruction of of the civilization it seems to be coming through Christianity. Am I right? Absolutely. We see an organized attack, systemic, um, strategic attack against Christianity on very many different paths. So I think what I just said, our, our shared meaning of language throughout the Western world was 100% based upon the, the Bible. So to destroy the pillar of language, we yeah. have to do, we have to confuse everyone about the Bible, Absolutely. first of all. But not only that, the Bible itself serves as a basis for shared Western values. So an attack on the Bible, an attack on Christian Christianity is also the enemy of those um, who want to destroy civilization because it is the foundation for the entire system they want to overthrow because it is the one place, it is where liberty, where they define that there's a, there's a place that government doesn't belong, yeah. right? They, yep. they, um, they, government doesn't belong in certain aspects of our lives, but that only came about through understandings of people like Thomas Aquinas, right? Absolutely. And, and, um, St. Augustine. St. Uh, Augustine, exactly. Right. Yeah. These, yeah. these people understand there's, there's places where the government doesn't belong. And if you can take out all the defining values that prop up that notion, because secularism itself came out of Christianity. And if you can get rid of all that, then we can fill that void with the values, again, like I said, the values that are not Christian, because the, that undermines the power of the people who want to tell us what our values should be and how we should live. Absolutely. And, and you know, you look at the way that's been done is, is, is to make, is, is to absolute talk about, you know, talk, talk in, in riddles, as you say, destruction of the language. So you talk in riddles and you say, but your truth is not my truth. And you know, that, that's, that's your belief. That's not my belief. And you keep going every time. I mean, I remember this maybe 20 years ago when I, 20, 25 years ago when I first got involved here in, in, in America in the pro-life movement. That was just like I, my mind was blown because it, every time you came up with the truth, they go, "But that's your truth. That's not my truth." I, you know, it's like, a, like a bunch of kids on the playground. It's like, "Oh my goodness, you are driving me up the wall." You know, would you please stop? But but that's ex- it, it. It was a tactic, and it certainly has it's achieved what it was going to achieve. But and it, yeah, so go and it may, and it makes Christianity the enemy, right? Because Christianity in the Bible and these absolute truth, it demands an objective measuring stick. And if you say, well, this is an objective measuring stick, you're like, you're attacking me. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So initially, you, 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 I mean, this is all sort of pretty heavy stuff, but you actually end the book, hopefully. What should we do right now? Well, I do try to throw some hope in there, but I believe the answer is not through elections and it's, it's, we, we fight this fight and we get exhausted. And I think the real answer is authentic relationships. Huh. I think that I do offer a lot of other solutions, but I believe that if we can enter into a conversation without the need to being, to be right, but instead of to be curious. And if we can live our lives without trying to impose our value system on someone else, but instead live according to our own value system, we can create authentic relationships that builds moral authority that's outside the, the reach of the government, outside the reach of the sovereign, as I call it. Um, we can, we can, really come together in humility, understand each other, and that really bridges the divide and we can actually get back to the ability to agree to disagree, to have conversations, to, to force ourselves to understand what we truly believe while at the same time 
really encouraging others to examine why they believe what they believe, which they may never have done before. Absolutely. And you know, there are very few people, you know, even just take my neighborhood, there's very few people that I can actually have a good discussion with and know that they will not be offended if I say, you know, I don't necessarily agree with you. Can we talk about it? For the most part, people, I mean, during the Trump era, oh my goodness gracious me, people would cross over the other side of the road because they, you know, but I think you're absolutely right. It's a matter of being, and and I have a very dear friend who says this all the time, we've got to learn to go back to learn how to disagree agreeably. So when we can do that, I think we will have solved a lot of the problems. My goodness, Dorothy Logan, what an honor it is to talk with you. And your book, of course, is The Unraveling. And folks, I will have all this information up on our website. So go there. But you can, if you've got time right now, you can put it down. It's freedomacademy.com dash Dorothy. And you can go get the book there and get all the details about it. But Dorothy, I hope we talk again. This is delightful talking to you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Thank you so much. God bless you lots. Thank you all for joining me this evening. As I say good night and God bless each and every one of you, I'd like to close with the words of the Holocaust survivor Elie Wiesel. There may be times when we are powerless to prevent injustice, but there must never be a time when we fail to protest. From the Median is listener supported. Visit our website, fromthemedian.org, for further information or to make a donation to continue to make this radio program possible. Email us, radionews at fromthemedian.org or call 440-668-4049. Through our fromthemedian.org website, you can download this or previous programs for your listening pleasure or sign up to receive our weekly preview of upcoming guest interviews. Tune in every weeknight at the same time to listen to another great interview on From the Median as we plan the route that takes us back to the culture of life. This program has been sponsored by Cleveland Right to Life and is responsible for its content.